Are you just trying to be a problem, Mavis? Test? Well, then you need to sit up really close and be in my face. Okay, how's that? Okay. Um, I'm not sure we're succeeding because uh, Ann told me that somebody uh, was talking about this class and said it's all about physics. So I don't know if Barb had a role in that, uh, probably. Um, but um, I haven't even gone to the board with equations yet. I mean, golly, and that's coming. Yeah, I tell you. Uh, that's my plan. That's my plan. Well, we sh we're not too far from that. A uh, little gap. Okay, let's pray. Father, we just once again. Uh, Humble ourselves in front of this, um, your word, which uh, the more we look at it and the more we drill down, it's just uh, amazing and that we just can't grasp it all. So, Father, we just rely upon you this morning and your Holy Spirit to guide us through this uh, passage, and uh, which is so foundational. And uh, so I just pray once again that uh, my words could possibly be your words, and uh, that we would really learn from and know you. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so, the subject uh, uh, today is uh, the fall of man and the universe. And um, <clears throat> you could say that... The, the, that the fall of man that we'll look at here in a second in Genesis 3 uh, is really the day the universe changed, not just man. This wasn't a local effect, as we'll see, um, and the way it's talked about throughout Scripture, uh, lots of references uh, to the, uh, the fall of the universe, really. Um, I want to start, before we go into Genesis 3, just want to remind you uh, in Genesis 1, 31, and God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And uh, if you just go down to chapter 2, the first couple of verses, thus the heavens and the earth were completed, and all their hosts, all the stars and planets. And by the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. So, is that the universe we observe now? Is the universe very good? No. Um, even physicists will admit it, it's, there's a, a problem, there's corruption. Um, Sir Roger Penrose has talked about the, the heat death of the universe, and that relates here. Um, th the stars, like the sun, have a finite amount of hydrogen that's being compressed, and that fusion reaction is what causes that radiation of light, that black body spectrum that the sun uh, radiates. Um, it's a finite amount, and what Roger Penrose was talking about is that in the future, if we, we know the universe isn't going to last this long, but if it were to continue on and on and on, eventually all the stars would run out of uh, their fuel, and that, again, is what 
you know, uh, facilitates life on the planet is that sun's radiation, the heating that we get from that. And so when all the stars run out, the universe will be at this low average temperature, something like zero to five degrees Kelvin somewhere. And so the, the usability of energy will be gone. There will be no uh, delta T or change in temperature and heat flow, which allows work to be done in thermodynamics. So if the universe were to continue that long, everything, there'd be no more energy for interactions. It would run down and die. This is a universal principle of physics that will, I'll probably tone it down some now, but we'll, we'll, we'll get to and we'll talk a little bit about. So that's what's going on in the universe now. And that's a real contrast with what we see at the end of uh, Genesis 1 and the beginning of uh, Genesis 2. Um, before we read, Gen and I'm going to read the whole, I'm gonna, it's important for context to read the whole of Genesis 3. So if you turn there then and follow along, we'll, we'll read that chapter. And then I'm only going to come back and really discuss a few verses because there's, there's not time in the universe to, to cover all we should cover in Genesis 3. There's a lot of great imagery and a lot of great fundamental principle that we just can't get to all that. Uh, but before we do that, let's just turn to Revelation 21. This gives us a hint that there's something wrong and that this universe needs to go away. If you just turn to Revelation 21 first, then we'll go back to Genesis 3. So Revelation 21, and let me just read the first six verses. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he shall dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them. And he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall no longer be any death. There shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. We just stop there and then just jump over to 22. Again, the uh, first few verses. Revelation 22. Um, and he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And this is the key. And there shall no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his bondservants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. And there shall no longer be any night. They shall not have the need of the light of a lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God shall illumine them, 
and they shall reign forever and ever. These should really be encouraging. But this is a new heavens and earth. So what happened to the old one, the old ones? Yeah, they go away. And, and there's various stages, and I'm not going to get into the, uh, all the prophetic you know, um, issues here, but we see like in Matthew uh, 24, I think, where it, we, we start to see the universe starting to break down, but then ultimately we see it gets burned up in uh, um, 2 Peter 3, 10 and 12. And, and we'll talk a little bit about that. So that's where we're going, which should be a great encouragement. But that tells us also something about this current universe uh, in which we live. And that's this fall that we're going to talk about now. So if you turn to Genesis 3, let me just read it. And it's quite a few verses, but it, I, I don't know any other way to, to look at this in context without just reading this whole chapter. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, you surely shall not die. For God knows that in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of thee in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me from the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly shall you go, and dust shall you eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, you shall bruise him on the heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth, in pain you shall bring forth children, yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. 
both thorns and thistles, it shall grow for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now the man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all the living. That's what that word means. The name Eve stands for. And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now, lest he stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. So that's the whole picture in uh, Genesis 3. What I want to return to, uh, because this relates most specifically to the creation that was very good, uh, I want to look, return to 3, 17 to 19. So starting at verse 17. Um, Cursed is the ground because of you. Cursed, I wanted to get more detail on this, and um, that's a primitive or primary root, and uh, it's a, it means to curse. Well, that's a lot of help. Thanks a lot, all my references. Um, but that's about as far as we can go. It, it's, it's, we'll talk more about what that means in the context of creation, but it's cursed. Um, which means to call down evil or wrath or destruction. Um, uh, at least we know this is not very good. That's the important part. Here, we know that if it's cursed, it's not very good. Um, now, the word ground is, uh, is pretty fascinating, actually. Uh, the word is adama, uh, which Adam is a part of that. Actually, Adam is a derivative word. So, adama means the source of everything, really. Adam is the beginning of man, the source of man, mankind on the earth. So Adama is the source of everything. Um, <clears throat> on the surface, no pun intended, but, but it, it's the ground or land or dirt or dust. But if you look a little deeper at the Hebrew um, <clears throat> and the uh, Hebrew-English lexicon that I use, one interpretation of this is ground as, t- as uh, tilled, Yielding sustenance. Two is a piece of ground. But the third definition or interpretation is earth as material substance of what man, and let me put in there the universe as well because all the elements are there, man and the universe is made. Um, so that's, that's, that's just not dirt. That's deeper than dirt. Uh, maybe we should title this all deeper than dirt. But... Uh, not into catchy titles. Um, so, earth as material substance of what man and the universe are made. And um, so, if you carry this a little further, 
the Bible makes a lot here of what we're talking about, of man and Adam and the ground, the relationship to the same, same word. Um, and so a derivative of that word Adam is adamant. What does that mean? Serious, you know, we're, we're going to do this or that. Uh, which also relates to a substance called adamantine or adamantine which is the hardest metal, hard stone or substance. It's unbreakable, which also means it can't be broken down. Elements would be how we could interpret that. So the basic irreducible parts of the universe uh, is related to this word uh, ground or uh, adama. Um, So ground here is fundamental, uh, the elements of what man and the universe is made. And so the elements become fallen here in Genesis 3. Um, There's lots of references we've talked a little bit. My point here is that this word ground, which by extension could be elements, is a lot deeper than just um, soil, which is one of the interpretations. Um, I mean, when you look back at 2.19, and out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky. The Lord God formed man of dust from the ground. So, I mean, this, there's everything that exists there of what man and the universe really are uh, uh, created from. Um, so the elements, like the periodic table of the elements, all the fundamental irreducible parts of what man and the universe are made is what we're talking about here. Yes. Well, I mean, that's, that's what we see here. Uh, uh, cursed is the ground because of you. So these elements are not very good anymore. They're, in a sense, fallen. And that, so the whole universe is in that state. And that's what we see. I mean, that's a fundamental principle of physics that we'll talk a little bit more about, uh, that the universe is running down. Everything does not work together. Uh, it's fallen, you know? It's the fallen universe as well as with man. Um, so could we assume at this point that then things started running down like Yeah, and, and that, again, there's a little interpretation here, Jay, but if you look at the Scripture, and plus you look at the observation that we see of the universe, everything is very good, and it was very good until this point. And then, you know, the elements, everything is not working together. It's corrupt. There's corruption that we see. I see no other interpretation of this that that's when it happened, you know? Um, <clears throat> so, uh, he, so he formed man out of the ground or elements. Man and the universe are formed. Um, and that word formed is interesting. It's yatsar, which is, again, a primitive root uh, to form fashion and the picture here, the illustration is like earthenware of a potter. As a potter shapes what he's building on his wheel, his potter's uh, wheel. Um, and so that's formed man out of these uh, elements. And so that word dust uh, is um, a lot deeper here. Because from the dust you were taken, he says in 2.19, and you are dust, and to dust you shall return. 
So as far as we, as far as the physical universe, um, ultimately death and destruction of material things, matter breaks down. Um, it's just such a universal fundamental principle. And I'll have some quotes for you a little bit later. Uh, all living things die. Um, well, in combination, they do. In combination. It's not just radioactivity, which is for nuclear types of uh, materials that radiate. But everything's breaking down. Everything's falling apart. It's running down. It doesn't cohere anymore. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. And it's, a, it's related to time. Like that illustration of, of Roger Penrose, it's like the stars. They're running out of hydrogen fuel. And so what happens when they all run out? Um, that's, that's what some believe is the, the phys some physicists believe the end of the universe is that heat death, which is thermodynamic, is that there's no more temperature difference to um, do work, to like a heat engine, for example. <clears throat> so um, all living things die as well. Uh, like Isaiah 48 says, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. It's a great verse. Contrast that with Genesis 1.31. And God saw all that he made, and behold, it was very good. And that superlative there, very good, out of God's mouth means something. Perfect. You know, there's no evolution, there's no refinement of what he made very good. The only principle of evolution going on in the universe is the fallen universe. It's the second law of thermodynamics. It's entropy. Things are running down. That's the only evolution that's going on. Really, everything else is just made up. Um, so the only evolution is down. That's what we observe. Um, No, what they talk about, and again, I love this, when these astronomers, bless their hearts, get up and talk about, see this here? This is a star-forming region. So it's gas and dust and particles, and eventually gravity will pull these all together and continue pulling these into stars, huge forces involved. Pull, gravity just does this on its own. We'll pull these together, and the force will become so great that eventually that pressure will cause fusion reactions, and then you have a star radiating. No, I've asked them. And they said, well, it just takes a long time. Have you ever seen one of these star-forming regions become a star? Well, it just takes a long time. Oh, yeah, we see, and, and you see various stages, but what it is, it's various stages of the second law of thermodynamics. That's what we see breaking down. You know, like stars exploding in supernova. Um, that's what we see. So when they think uh, shooting stars or whatever, that's stars that are breaking down. Well, that's, that's, that's a meteor of some kind entering the atmosphere. But if you want to use that as a picture, I'm good with it. Because I'm not going to drill down to the physics anymore because I've already been harassed about that. <laughs> so, um, I mean, that, that could be a picture of it. No, it's, it's some asteroid, meteorite that's entering the atmosphere and it burns up. But if you want to keep that picture, hey, I love simple pictures now after what I've been, you know, told. Um, hey, Jim, I got a question about the flood. Kevin. How did the flood change things? So, so in Genesis 5, um, when Noah 
Abinadab, his father, named him. He named him Noah, saying, This one will bring us relief from the agonizing labor of our hands caused by the ground the Lord has cursed. And then in Genesis 8, after the flood, um, God says, when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, he said to himself, I'll never again curse the ground because of human beings, even though the inclination of the human heart is evil from the economy. So does that change the, the planet again at the, after the flood? Does that actually do something to the curse? Well, I think there, it, it's, it's hard to give a, a definitive answer because we didn't see the before, only see the now, and it's after the flood. And I think there are huge, I mean, the Creation Research Society and Institute for Creation Research up in Dallas, they've talked a lot about that. If you go to those websites, they've got huge amount of information, which I've learned in my life, I need to focus, you know, because I, I can't look at all that. I mean, it's, it's interesting from a biblical standpoint, but everything's, you know, I mean, the Grand Canyon and all these things were results of the flood. Everything changed. But the curse still exists. No, 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 no. But God was fed up with man. I can't let this go on. So I'm going to destroy man, except for a select few. So I, I think it's exactly right. But I can't give any more of a definitive. Sure looks like that. I mean, and we can look at some geological things. And Porter's not here, so I can talk about that. There's some geologic things that didn't take a billion years. You know, they happened pretty quick. So, Jeff? It did. Because did. That's, that's the reality is everything, instead of everything's good, and it's like you said, everything was created. I see no other definitive yeah. mark in time when this could have happened. Because remember, everything into this point was very good. Everything was very good. Right. And then it became very bad. Right. You know, it's not working together. It's not coherent like God created it. I see, and again, it's an inference, you know, but it's a pretty good one because I can see no other reason that would cause that, that which brings together scripture and observational science and physics. I, mean, I heard somebody say once that dying because of cells in the autopsy, they're like, oh, there's a copy, 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 it's the first thing. And so you think that causes death, is when all of a sudden the cell is like suffocating and starts going through the, you know, they're running down, and that's death. Well, DNA does break down. Right. I mean, we see that. I mean, any biologist would tell you that. Yes, absolutely. Didn't have it before this. And all Adam and Eve knew was good. Now they know good and evil, which is, could, could we back up a little bit and maybe not make that decision? Um, yeah. Um, so We read Genesis 3, uh, 22 to 24, which is really the end of the chapter. Um, let me just cover, you know, highlight some things in those verses. <clears throat> uh, then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, capital U. That's the same us that was used in Genesis 1, 26. Let us make man in our image. And so us... Let, let man be, has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now, lest he stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life 
and eat, which was another tree in the garden, remember? There were two, at least, well, there's a bunch of trees, but this was another tree that was mentioned um, back in, in um, Genesis 2.9. And so take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Silence. There's that big, long dash. What do you think that means? It's like he was stopped mid-phrase with, lest he stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Well, I think it's, it's, he doesn't continue because this is too horrible to contemplate. I think that's what that means, is that the consequences of not doing this are too horrible to contemplate, uh, that it just couldn't be uh, continued, <clears throat> which what is what we know of hell. Uh, and this is sort of a placeholder here for salvation, you know, taking from the tree of life, you know, the root of Jesse, who is the Lord Jesus. And so... Um, <clears throat> Therefore, the, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. And um, in 24, um, and this is, there's a lot of, of depth here to this one verse, all these verses really, um, a lot of uh, symbolism and imagery, and, and, and it's sometimes I can't parse where those div dividing lines are. In verse 24, so he drove the man out, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, now that east, uh, you know, east is mentioned a lot. I mean, the east, uh, you know, gate of the temple was where uh, the spirit departed, God himself departed, and then comes back through that east gate. So maybe it's as simple as that's where the sun rises on the east side. I don't know, but it's, it's significant. Don't know the significance. At the east of the Garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim. Well, that's a great hint because this is not just a natural thing, this is supernatural. There's this, this dividing line between natural and supernatural right here, because the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. There we see it again. This is, this is the key, uh, which is salvation. Um, so we have angels involved, angelic guards, really, and the flaming sword. Now, what does a sword mean? A sword always means destruction killing uh, that sword, and uh, the flaming part is God's nature, which I've shown you numerous places, uh, the, 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 the flame of the Lord, and, and we'll, we'll see that again a couple of places. And so this flaming sword, which turned every direction, completely omnidirectional everywhere, to guard the way to the tree of life. Uh, and so what does this mean? Man no more has access to the Garden of Eden, or that paradise type of existence, unless he takes from the tree of life. It's a great picture of salvation here. Um, so man on his own cannot cross over. <clears throat> There's a parallel in Luke 16, the rich man and Lazarus. And besides all this, brethren, uh, between us, which is Abraham and Lazarus in heaven, and you, the rich man in Hades, there is a great chasm fixed 
in order that those who wish to come over from here to you may not be able and, and that none may cross over from there to us. Can't bridge this gap. Natural to the supernatural, the, the flaming sword. Um, so this is the cherubim here are part of this supernatural barrier, uh, not of this now fallen world. Um, So it, let's just look at a couple of, of uh, cross-references here. I'll just read them. In Revelation 19, um, I'll just read it, uh, starting at verse 11. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat upon it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. And his eyes are a flame of fire, and upon his head are many diadems, and he has a name written upon him which no one knows except himself. And he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Now we know who this is. Um, and the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses, and from his mouth comes a sharp sword, and we see the sword again, so that with it he may smite the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on uh, his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So that's the coming of Christ. Here, um, which, which relates. If you just turn back to um, 2 Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians chapter 1, starting in verse 7, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. There we see that reference again. Dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. That's that dash, you know, in, in Genesis 3.24. Too horrible to contemplate. And... Um, if you just, one more quick one, in Second Peter 3, 10, again, we'll see this reference to, to fire, Second um, Peter 3, 10 and 12, but the day of the Lord, which is what we're, is we're talking about here, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. And then down to verse 12, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God on account of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. So uh, John MacArthur says, yeah, those environmental green weenies who think that uh, it's global warming, nah, stand by for this. This is real warming, and, uh, and it is. Everything will be burned up, ultimately. And this is the removal of this present heavens and earth for the new one that we, talked, that we saw in, in Revelation. Preparing the way, really, for the new heavens and the new earth. 
Let me just, I got a couple minutes. Um, I want to convince you that we know it's a biblical principle now, that, and we know the earth has fallen, and, and it's, it's not like the new heavens and earth we will see eventually. Um, but uh, here's, here's sort of the physics side of that. Um, this bondage to corruption or entropy is universal in physics as well as what we've seen from Scripture. Uh, Sir Arthur Stanley Eddington, and, and, and uh, Sir Arthur Eddington is famous on a number of accounts. One, in 1919, he led an expedition down to South Africa. And remember, Einstein had, well, you don't remember, I'm just going to tell you. Uh, Einstein developed general relativity, which is simply gravity as a curvature of space or space-time, rather than just like two masses that, you know, which we all did those calculations. Well, some of us did. Um, I, have to I have to qualify everything now. Um, so he wrote those equations, which are complex, the general relativity equations. So we've interpreted those in some different ways uh, now to simplify them. But uh, very complex, you know, uh, nonlinear partial differential equations. That's enough to make anybody scared. And so general relativity, he, he wrote these equations in, in 1916. In 1919, only three years later, uh, there was this total eclipse of the sun uh, down in South Africa where the moon completely covers the sun. So they needed to see stars behind the sun. Can't do that normally. And so there had to be this total eclipse. And so Sir Arthur Eddington and his team went down there just a year after the end of World War I and um, looked at the stars behind, and he calculated the amount of curvature. It was exactly what Einstein had predicted in general relativity. Usually, proof like this doesn't happen within three years, usually not in the originator's lifetime, really. So this was an amazing event. So that's uh, one of the things Sir Arthur did. Well, this is, this is what he wrote. <clears throat> in the book, The Nature of the Physical World, I, I think he was a believer because he was, it came from a Quaker family. I don't know of any Quakers, but from what I've read, he, he may very well have been a believer. Um, in this book, The Nature of the Physical World, he says, the running down of the universe. Entropy can never decrease. That would involve something much worse than a violation of an ordinary law of nature. So obviously, this is more than just an ordinary law of nature. This is a big deal, entropy. <clears throat> Another quote um, is, the law that entropy always increases, the second law of thermodynamics holds, I think, the supreme position among the laws of nature. Gravity? Nah. You know, I mean, this is pretty important. But if your theory is found to be against the second law of thermodynamics, I can give you no hope. There is nothing for it but to collapse in deepest humiliation. Pretty strong, pretty strong words. Let me just show you uh, that it's also in Scripture in a number of places other than just Genesis 3. If you turn quickly to um, Romans uh, 8, I can do this real fast, I promise. Uh, Romans 8, uh, this is also listed, it's kind of cheating, but this is listed as one of the cross-references in Genesis 3, which is funny. So um, Romans 8, and if we start at, um, I'll start at 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present age 
present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For, when you see for, that's an explanation. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will also be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together uh, until now. And um, a couple more. If you turn back to the Psalms, uh, Psalm 102 Verses 25 and 26. Of old thou didst found the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. Even they will perish, but thou dost endure, and all of them will wear out like a garment. Kevin, that's what we were talking about. These things kind of you know, work themselves uh, at odds together. Like clothing, thou wilt change them, and they will be changed. And in 27, but thou art the same, and thy years will not come to an end. Okay, one more. Hebrews 1. We're flipping back and forth, but we've got to do it this way. This is the last one, I promise. Hebrews chapter 1. Uh, 10 and 12. 10 to 12. And this is sort of a cross-reference of, a cross-reference of what we just read. And thou, Lord, in the beginning didst lay the foundation of the earth... And the heavens are the works of thy hands. They will perish, but thou remainest. And they will all become old as a garment. In the Psalms it said, and will wear out. They will all become old as a garment. And as a mantle, thou wilt roll them up. As a garment, they will also be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years will not come to an end. So Old Testament, New Testament references to uh, the running down of the universe. Well, that was pretty fast, um, and I never got to any equations, which will probably be the rule of the day from now on. Uh, Jay, would you close this? creation being a testimony of you, a precursor to the gospel, and Father, help us just to take in this truth confidently and not to be pushed around by scoffers who want to try to claim something else. Father, we just uh, pray that you be with us service calling that we uh, drink in your word and that we will comprehend it and will live it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So thanks for listening. Uh, Next week we will have uh, David Loyola during Sunday School from uh, Rio Grande Bible Institute. So he'll be here and we'll pick up the next week.